Hello and welcome to Studio P3. This is Marjolaine Fournier and I'm sitting here with Jean-Jacques Van Vlaasler, uh, our encyclopedia on two legs. And today in um, exploring the symphony, we are going to talk about a um, piece that has the orchestra and voice and it's Carmina Burana by Carl Orff. Hello, Jean-Jacques. Hello, Marceline. So, yes. by which end we pick up this thing? <laughs> we'll, we'll pick it up with a little part of biography first and, yes. and, and try to situate him within the 20th century. Um, he's born in 1895, like Hindemith, by the way, and uh, he will have a very long life, 87 years old. Um, he was born in a, in a family of military, in, and that's one thing. Uh, that we shouldn't forget. The other thing is also that he was born in Bavaria. Now Bavaria will be a, the, the 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 place where everything starts in uh, the in Nazi Germany and of course uh, the, the southern Germany. So. 1895, very early the parents know that this boy is musically gifted. At five, he makes his first compositions. Then um, his first songs will be will be uh, published at, at about uh, f 10 years old, and about 10 years old. And he writes also a children's story. He composes music for a puppet play. Um, and at 16, he has composed already about 50 songs songs that I'm 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 talking about 1911 50 songs in a year later very pretentiously he writes an also spark Zarathustra thus spoke Zarathustra with uh, as a large work for choirs and of course uh, playing in the in the same league as Mahler's second symphony who quotes also also spark Zarathustra and then of course Richard Strauss with his tone poem. So this is, you know, man is 17 years old. He doesn't like teachers. He doesn't like teachers. He knows how he can teach himself and he will be essentially a self-learner, autodidact, you know, a person who who will teach himself. 18 years old, he, is, uh, he composes his first opera, which is, um, is an opera um, on a piece of theater, a traditional Japanese theater um, called Gizei. Nobody speaks about it. And, and this opera is very much influenced by the music by Debussy at that time. So in the first part, also Sparks Zarathustra, influenced by Richard Strauss, Influenced by Debussy, because of course the great Pelias et Melisande was just coming out at that time, and he will be so interested in that music and in Debussy at that time that he goes to author of Pelias et Melisande, the writer Maurice Materlink, and he will compose songs on. Uh, poems by Materlink. So, you know, this is a whole period. This is his Debussy period. He will go through periods like that until he becomes himself later during the Second World War. He will then be influenced by Schoenberg. Then he will be starting to compose 
again, larger works. And one of those works is on uh, a, uh, a uh, theater play by Franz Werfel. Franz Werfel is very important. Franz Werfel has been the last husband of Alma Mahler. Um, he's a very important writer. He's Jewish. And he has, that will not be a very good element within um, Orff's later career, of course. He will also, and even worse, he, he will compose on poems by Bertolt Brecht, and that will not help either. But then suddenly, as usual, he turns to, uh, under the influence of one of his teachers, he turns to the old masters. He will be influenced by Lassus, Palestrina, Gabrieli, Monteverdi. He will uh, recompose elements uh, or uh, reconstruct uh, some of the works by Monteverdi, especially Monteverdi, um, and uh, he is then 26 years old. He will be also influenced by the new dance. <laughs> you know, the, the ballet. Ballet is out at that time, and there are great, great uh, choreographers, great dancers uh, who put um, who put the body as first element of the rhythmical element. And uh, people like Mary Wigman or people like uh, Laban. So these people will influence him and this is very much part of the, of the time. I mean, gymnastics are part of that time. This kind of contemporary dance I wonder uh, what much. about the uh, the you know the ballets of um, uh, Stravinsky and all that like the choreography has very much changed now that's yeah. what you're saying the, that the, even the the more um, uh, conservative ballets are exploring that much more yes but uh, you see the, that whole uh, that whole period of the ballet russe is in between in fact you know the ballet russe is in between uh, when i th speak about uh, mary wigman th this is solo dancing and the exploration of the body it goes much further uh, 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 theodora duncan also these these are extraordinary dancers who, who are 30, 40 years ahead of us. So dance will be very much part of it. He is a theater man. He likes to integrate dance and gymnastics, theater and dance, theater, dance and music. And so very calmly, those works of the 19, end of the 1930s and of the 1940s will uh, take form. And of course, uh, uh, that is uh, uh, that is what is going to happen with Carmina Burana, because you know very well, as much as I do, that Carmina Burana is in fact a theatrical play. It's a medieval theatrical play in which the music is the um, uh, the, the the supplementary element. It, it, the music under, underlies this, and. Uh, most of the time in concerts, this is not done anymore. And so one, we miss a certain number of elements uh, towards the Carmina Burana to, to have a, a global idea, a gestalt idea of what the work is about. That would be interesting. I've, I've never done it besides uh, on stage and very static, but it's so hard to put together. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, mu musically, uh, you need a, such a very specially talented conductor and a very, very well-prepared choir to do this. 
With movement, that would be very interesting. It would take quite a while to put yes. together, eh? And and and, and within within the, the 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 work, for example, in the in the, in in the first part, uh, dem Anger is a dance scene. It is a real dance scene, and um, in which uh, uh, he he opposes uh, a Bavarian dance, and then the flute and the timpani, and it's a, it's a really galloping movement. It has to do essentially about uh, about dance. So. I want to come back to, to, to the career as such, and we'll, we'll come back certainly to Carmina Burana. Um, Carmina Burana is, is composed in uh, 1935, 1936, premiered in 1937, and one simply has to think about the, the, the period in which that has been presented. Um, I... Uh, it's a very, very difficult period for 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 uh, for many, many, many people. And uh, Orff uh, tries to find his way in between um, all the directives and all the laws, and uh, because essentially, essentially, what he he wants, he has an obsessive quest of becoming famous. And so there will be compromises. Um, he uh, he always will manipulate people to uh, suit his very own ends. And and I'm not saying this uh, uh, like that. I just didn't improvise this. This comes from his own daughter, and this comes also from his last wife. So. It, the man is career-oriented, and for a career, one does a number of things. We'll get back to that. Well, after Carmina Burana, great success. Great success not always with the Nazi critics, by the way. They, they thought it was too pagan. It was too pagan, yes. Mind you, the, at first, the, even the directors, I mean Goebbels, who was very much hands-on, kind of disliked it, Hitler liked it. So this is very clear. And so when Hitler liked it, then yeah, it went, it went, became very popular. And it's still a very popular work. After that, he conducts, he composes uh, a few works on folk tales. Um, the, the Moon and the Wise Man, and then he, in 1943, and this is important, he composes a, a second part, in fact, to Carmina Burana, which is Catulli Carmina. And Catulli uh, Carmina, in comparison to Carmina Burana, I, I will, uh, you know, in Carmina Burana for me is a kind of woodcut. And uh, Catulli uh, Carmina is uh, a, a work out of marble <laughs> and so the uh, sound wise this is this is what what, uh, what it would be and we'll come back to that because they will be part of the three triumphi which is his major work it's his uh, um, uh, uh, what, what should i call it uh, it, it is his ring cycle <laughs> He at that time also, and I wanted to mention this. He conduct, he composes, and several versions of *Midsummer Night's Dream*. Now, the *Midsummer Night's Dream* is a whole story of the that the Nazi period. I mean, the well, you'll say why, why, why? Because all Jewish composers had been eliminated of the programs. But the the one work they couldn't really eliminate because it was so popular, it was part of the tissue of society and of all the theaters in Germany. It's uh, M uh, Mendelssohn's 
um, Mendelssohn's uh, Midsummer Night's Dream, theater music that he composed for it. So very quickly, the organization, Goebbels and Rosenberg's organization said, well, let's give some money to composers who want to compose a new version, let's say a more German version. And um, 44 of them <laughs> participated, and uh, the price was 2,000 mark. Um, Orff, after the great success of Carmina Burana, uh, was asked specifically to compose it, and he will make two versions which have not been played and have been ret retracted from circulation afterwards. But uh, he got 5,000 mark to, see, to show that uh, suddenly his star was rising. His star was rising. Of course, he himself very quickly said to his editor, um, I, I wish you, could, uh, you could get out of circulation and unfortunately you, you published uh, all the works that I have composed before Carmina Burana, which meant not necessarily that he disliked them, but simply because there were works on, uh, on the basis of, of writings by Franz Werfel and by Bertolt Brecht. This is certainly one of the things. So, after the war, he will compose a few um, Bavarian, uh, Bavarian works, uh, and then afterwards he will go into the the uh, back into history, and he will uh, compose the um, he will compose uh, works on uh, Sophocles, on uh, Greek myths, uh, Antigone, and then of course the triumph of Afrid, uh, Aphrodite, and this triumph of Aphrodite will be the third part to the Catholic Carmina, uh, and then of course the Aphrodite part. <laughs> There's an aspect of um, Karl Orff's um, history, formation, and development as a musician that you haven't touched on, but I find very interesting because it sort of went um, in tandem with uh, his uh, composing and conducting pieces, at, and it's that school that he took part in. And it became a very famous school, and of course it was exactly, uh, it, it ended perfectly within the culture of that time, um, with dance, gymnastics music you see and uh, he was very much part of that and he will uh, uh, he will pre prepare methods of of learning of learning music and, uh, um, the school was called the, the Gunther school and um, he will work very much in parallel with you know in parallel within the school for, for quite some time until in the 1940s until the school was closed at the end of the war um, uh, it's um, it was a cultural 
it was a perfect cultural picture of that time, in my opinion. That's cool. Yeah, that's cool. Perfect mm -hmm. cultural picture ah. of that time. And of course, it 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 it, it was a very very uh, very unfortunate period in the history of Europe. How about we look at Carmina uh, Buena itself? Now, at the first time I encountered this piece, I thought it was the name of a person, Carmina. It's not, is it? It's not. It's a. It, you see, uh, it, it, it are the chants of the Benedictines, that, uh, the Benedictines, farmer Benedictines, in fact, that, and that their home base was at the, at the, uh, uh, close to the, the beginning of the Alps in Bavaria. So um, in 1903, they find those chants, there are many of them. In 1847, it is published. And um, and Off finds this published version of 1845. Now, what does it comprise? It's a collection of uh, musical chants, poems of jesters, minstrels from France, Germany, Great Britain, Italy, and uh, they touch all spheres of the of human activity. The church. Church was very important within society at that time. The state, society itself, the individuals, and it's talking about what? Well, it's talking about the decline of the moral values, the omnipotence, the the the, the extreme importance of money, and then of course the ch the church and the state. All the organizations are attacked. But it's also it is also a there are songs interwoven about love about springtime springtime you know and the eros <laughs> burning the bodies of human beings um, there are chants of dances in there as i mentioned already there and it, it, it there is the poetry of nomads nomads people um, celebrations of joys of foods of Drinking, lots of drinking in the second part, and of physical love. So it, it's uh, it is written in I call it Latin de cuisine in French, you know, kitchen Latin, uh, Latin in German, but the 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 Hochdeutsch, the middle Hochdeutsch. It is written also in some of the texts are mixed between yeah. German and Latin, and some Latin and French. So. It is an, it's um, it's a popery, it's a popery of all the languages of that time, uh, perhaps to hide a little bit the uh, um, the the meaning of some of those songs, which um, he doesn't go really overboard, but there is a very great sensuous background to to it. What's interesting also is that you're, you're telling me that the texts are from a, a variety of people. Mm -hmm. There's a variety of languages, but he makes it, and it's quite a long piece, but he makes it, and it's in three parts, mm -hmm. and it all holds together really well. Yes, you know, I, I agree. Uh, no, it's very well done. 
It's yeah. very well done. You know, the, there are three parts in springtime. The second one is in the tavern. <laughs> and the third one is uh, the uh, love. It, 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 the title is in French, Cours d'amour, love court uh, between um, Blanche of Flore and Helena. And, and, and the whole thing is surrounded by uh, the famous chant, the choir, Fortuna, Fortuna, Imperatrix Mundi, Fortune, Empress of the World. So our destiny, our providence, which is destiny of our world. But that fortune just turns around and goes from beginning to the end and from the beginning to the end and from the beginning to the end. So, so if you're and on that's the wrong, why he yeah. will finish it also with the same song. It goes around. And if you're on the wrong side, is his view that fate decides? And mm -hmm. that's it. So if you're not on the right side of it, too bad. Too bad. It's, you know, it 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 it, it is a fresh work. It seems to be a very optimistic work, but it's it ha it carries its pessimism. So does it? It's now that I I'm thinking about it. It starts like this: Oh, Fortuna, uh, mm -hmm. the fate, fate, mm -hmm. and we live life. We enjoy the small pleasures of drinking and uh, um, all sorts of um, food and illicit things and then you go back to the darkness of existence so there's very little relief but the relief is there but very mm -hmm. basic eh? the relief is basic you're absolutely right you know you can't put it better um, and that uh, that comes in the middle and you see the the first the first block of is about eight numbers Uh, the last one is about 10 numbers, and the middle one is only four. But that's the one everybody's waiting for in the tavern. Uh -huh. and, and of course, uh, in the tavern, he, uh, the, the, he takes, uh, uh, <laughs> he, he makes a parody of Italian opera. He does all kinds of things with the voices, with the instruments, which he does also in the first part, by the way, but it's very, very clear. You know, in, low instruments playing the high register, uh, uh, high-pitched instruments playing low register, you know, um, the singers do uh, exactly the same thing. <laughs> well, yeah, he they, makes they, the they, baritone They push go. them to the end. He pushes yeah. them to the end. Yes. Like the, the soloists also have to, the soprano has to go so high yeah. and her very delicate movement mm -hmm. and the tenor also when he's doing yeah. the swan. Falsetto tenor in yes. the swan, yes. And the baritone also has to go way, he's really pulling everybody apart mm -hmm. so you need a very strong cast and you need a very very good choir yes i think you need you need especially a conductor who knows how to build the whole thing and keep it together also yeah, yeah. well but the, all these elements uh, are there and um, but it's a very it's it's a very attractive work to to one generation after another generation i was told by um, a fellow uh, music critic uh, a, a musicologist in fact in germany who said that every year still uh, uh, the inher uh, you know inheritance is of about a hundred thousand euros uh, for performances of the of carmina burana so this is not nothing we could live on that mm -hmm. oh comfortably <laughs> comfortably But also, the, let's not forget all the times that's used for uh, ads for cars and things like that. So <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's a, a lot of money. So he 
we were saying that he's quite the genius with colors and things. He uses the piano in the orchestra. He uses a lot of percussion. Absolutely. Lots of percussion. There is, uh, there are, you know, uh, he has, I think, five timpanies. He has cymbals. He has the gong, um, clocks, and three glockenspiels, uh, xylophone, castanets, uh, two pianos. Uh, it's just, uh, and then a full orchestra, obviously. And, and an orchestra which, at the given moments, he uses sparely. Very, very, yeah. very thin. Very thin, but he works on contrasts. And what he does, he is repetitive. He is repetitive, so uh, this rhythmic work um, works on people. You know, we, in fact, in, you know, if I think this one through, um, he foresaw what would happen after the Second World War. That's why that work is still very much in. You know, after the ah. Second World War, m classical music became intellectual, much more an intellectual thing. Cold or, uh, or thought? No, thought through? over very differently. Uh -huh. Because they, the musicians wanted to react against this, uh, this heavy post-romantic music yeah. that had been part of the Second World War. Ultimately, ultimately it was that, you know. Why, why did the Nazis go back to Wagner? Because this was a, a fundamental example of, you know, this romantic, full blast music. Now, after the Second World War, classical music became much more intellectualized. Mm -hmm. uh, it's changing again, which is a wonderful thing. But people needed something gutsy. People needed something rhythmic. And that's why we have this extraordinary um, uh, creativity in another field, which is and jazz, and especially um, after the Second World War, um, rock, rock music. Now, this music is very rhythmical. And this is why so many people and me too, can be taken by it. Rhythm. It's rhythm. It's, rhythm it's, is life. It's gutsy. It's saying. life. It's the essence. It's the essence of music. It's the, the basic element of music, rhythm. So no wonder his, this piece really fed. It really nourished something. Absolutely. And what's strange, you know, we're talking about rhythm, but I'm I'm noticing this because I have to practice this Orff mm -hmm. piece, and it's it's not orthodox the way he wrote it, like the the, um, the notes themselves. Mm. But because he was not educated orthodoxly, I mean, ah. he, he ran away from his teachers most of the time. Too He's true. very personal in his writing. So he he uses crazy rhythms all the time, and he repeats them so much that after a while they're very comfortable. So you were talking about the dance movement mm -hmm. and it, it goes bum 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 ba da da dum 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 da 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 dum dum that's not regular at all. But you play it twice and then that's it. You're yeah. good. You're good. Uh, and I find that fascinating that if you it's not there's nothing in four, there's bars in five, in seven, one after the other, and it all works. It's that's fantastic that he was able to play with rhythm and people think that his rhythms are very square, but they're not. They're not, not no, at no, all. No. no, no. His rhythms are very, very interesting. Although repetitive, <laughs> I'm coming back to it. I'm repetitive, it, and and 
and uh, but it's okay. I mean, this is part of this work, and this is what makes this work um, work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's, if you don't mind. Uh, so this piece, I I find it fascinating. Also, that I didn't read. There's not much to talk about. When you research Karl Orff, there's not much to talk about. He didn't write that much. He didn't stay attached to people that much either. And I, you know, for a composer who wanted to be famous, and I guess he achieved fame with this Carmina, but wouldn't you be wanting more and more? And I guess he had this one success. Did he really have any more successes than that one? Yes. You know, wouldn't that have been a great frustration for him? Or am I going too far? I think he had a certain success. Not that much in the first part of his life until Carmina Burana. After Carmina Burana, he was very well regarded. After the Second World War, he had a certain number of problems, existential problems, because of his relationship with National Socialism and the, the ambiguity of his relationship with, uh, with National Socialism. But his works were performed. I told you that the uh, Triomphi, the Aphrodite, uh, was directed in Vienna by, um, mind you, somebody who knew what no National Socialism was about, uh, Herbert von Karajan. But, you know, major concerts would be, would be given with a certain number of other works. The Catulli Car uh, Carmina have been performed. Um, uh, der Mond, the 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 the, the moon, uh, uh, the Kluge, the, uh, smaller works um, or less important works within his oeuvre uh, have been have been uh, have been played. But you see, he has been much more known for um, the kind of uh, the, the teaching of rhythmic elements within music, and 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 the, the Günther school has 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 taken over very much. Um, but today he's uh, not that much played except for, for the Carmino and not even theatrically anymore because it does take lots of people. But it was very much part of the zeitgeist of the period of that cultural uh, period. You know, look at the, the monumental buildings that, were, that, that the Nazi period created or Italy, I mean, under Mussolini. It's enormous. So this is an, an enormous work, but at the same time, it's very Volkish. I mean, Volkish close to the people. And it had the success. It had the success. Whatever some of the critics at the time wrote, many of the critics don't don't like it. I mean, I I have I have seen terrible write-ups about uh, you know very negative. When I don't think it's one should be that negative. You know, somebody called it terrible supermarket music. This is um, no. it became perhaps up to a certain point. You know the the publicity has used it even because it it hits the ears. People listen to it. It's all very interesting. It's interesting also the opinion that he had. Like he was criticized a little bit, but you know you criticize popular thing all the time. That's what happened. Absolutely. But he criticized people contemporaries of his that. I, I found very surprising that he would go there. Oh my God! Yes, but his anatomy around about Schoenberg, after having 
um, looked at him as a, you know as a possible way of, of of composing. But afterwards, of course, because that was also very much part of the entarte to music of the rejected music under the uh, Nazi regime. Schoenberg was one of the people they they, they absolutely hated, and uh, that went on until the 1950s under Stalin. Also, because that's another uh, uh, that's another period that didn't like uh, you know music that bypassed uh, the Tchaikovsky period. Mm. Now, what I'm... Uh, the, the, and then, not only Schoenberg, there is, of course, what he wrote uh, about Mahler. And anybody who says that about Mahler, I, um, uh, they're not my friends. Um, he said about Mahler, his music is unqualified crap. Yeah? It is insincere non-music. Insincere non-music? That's a Mahler's little far. Yeah. Mahler's Mahler's Fifth Symphony, Mahler's Ninth Symphony, the Slit von der Erde. Wow, that is because, dear Mr. Off, you're not at the level of his heels. Yeah. It's it's tragic. This. It's tragic to see what could have been also, you know, if you take away certain elements of culture, what could have been could have been wonderful. Yeah. Um, but you see, he himself, his character was a, a suspicious character. The only thing he really wanted, he wanted to be famous. And he manipulated people, you know, as we said, to, to his very own ends. And that's why he also has manipulated his past, you know, about the Second World War. You know, he, he, he tried to get rid of that period at a given moment. Mm. This being said, and in a way I don't agree with it, um, the Carmina Burana became... Um, became the calling card for national socialism, which it was not really not at the time, but it became after the Second World War the, the calling card for of, uh, for national socialism. And so there is there is a there is a wrong perception of the whole thing. It's a good work, and uh, he has expressed himself, ex uh, you know, at his best. I think. After that, it's very repetitive and uh, it doesn't go too far. After that, he's bypassed by many, many, many great composers after the Second World War. Has he inspired anybody? Can anybody say, uh, I write like this? Or have you ever read anybody no. saying... No. I do think he he was uh, at the end of a road, and this is this is very personal and subjective on my part. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the road, he was inspired by many people, amongst whom Stravinsky. Uh, on the pagan side, on the rhythmic side, and you know all kinds of different works of Stravinsky, and one can go from one the work of Stravinsky to some of his works very straight. I don't think he was really, uh, really, uh, he didn't have any school after him, no. And the world had changed. The world really had changed. And he was and a kind of lost in this new world. Although he lived a long life, eh? 1982. This is yesterday. That's true. It's funny that in wanting to erase certain parts of his, and not misdeeds, because he didn't really commit anything devious, but... By wanting to erase past behaviors, you erase yourself entirely. Yeah. I think 
ultimately, ambiguity doesn't help. I would invite the listeners that will be going to hear Carmina anywhere to pay attention to the text. It's really amazing. I was thinking the other day that, you know, you could take a very religious text and put it up against this music and create something divine also. This is something else. He's, he's painted a portrait. May, you know, you, you hit it so right. I, I was talking to uh, somebody who has very great uh, sensitivity towards music and towards theater. And I said to him, yeah, this is a, you know, this is the blockbuster work of, the, of that period. He said, perhaps, except if you play it in a convent with a small choir, there are wonderful moments in there, he said. And suddenly you say to yourself, this strange text has spiritual value. Hmm. Jean-Jacques, thank you so much. You're welcome.